spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation, what's up? Welcome into another edition of Rage and Review. Matt and Miguez here. The Rage and Review studio is a party of one today, but you know what? That's okay. I'm a big boy. I can drive the bus by myself. Hang on. This is going to be a fun ride. We are joined. We're going to talk the Baton Rouge Regional this weekend as the Cajuns will go down I-10 across the Atchafalaya Basin to... Play ho- to play in the Baton Rouge Regional with LSU, McNeese, and George Washington University. And here to break down this regional with us is the founder of Justin's World of Softball, Mr. Justin McLeod. Justin, good afternoon, man. How are you? I'm good. Appreciate y'all having me on. Yeah, man, absolutely. You know, it, it's always fun when you get late into the season like this. To kind of to kind of look at the picture of what the Cajuns face in a regional, because you know regionals are almost expected. I, I take that back; they're not almost expected; they are expected. Because um, yep. I, I mean, obviously, we've we've been in the postseason for each of the last twenty-two years. Right. So you know, grand scheme, somebody that hasn't really looked at it yet. Paint a brief picture of the Baton Rouge Regional. Well, it's a true regional in, in large part. I mean, three, three, three of the four teams are from the state of Louisiana. Um, it, it's actually a pretty, a really solid regional. McNeese is the four seed. George Washington is the three seed. The Cajuns are the two, and then LSU is the top seed within the regional. I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty solid field. It's one of the better regional fields, honestly, in in the tournament, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, the Cajuns have obviously played LSU twice this year. Um, and then if I remember correctly, yeah, we we did play McNeese. It was a, it was an extra innings game yeah. early on in the year. Um, George Washington's unfamiliar to us, but you know, and, and I, I don't wanna I don't wanna say anything about George Washington, but I feel like I, I like the Cajuns' chances against them on Friday. Um, but you know, let, let's start with the Cajuns 44 and 10. They win the Sunbelt conference again for the 16th time since 2000 Sierra Bryan, newcomer of the year slash player of the year, summer Ellison back-to-back conference pitcher of the year. And the interesting thing that I find about this team is it's kind of a shell of itself. Cause you know, you lost, you lost Taylor, you lost Taylor Roman for the year to a torn ACL. You lose. Yeah. You lost Rayna O'Neill for an extended period of time. She's supposed to make a return in the postseason, but as we're forty-eight hours away from the regional, we don't know when that's going to happen, or even if it's still going to happen. Alyssa Dalton right. missed sixteen games. She's just now getting back into her own. You know, there was a there was a stretch where we were all kind of worried about Summer Ellison. There there was a stretch where she wasn't really playing like herself. So to be yeah. forty-four and ten and win the conference again. How impressive is that, in your opinion, 
from a program standpoint as well as players and coaches? Well, I do think that it's actually an understated feat to a certain extent. You know, um, you, you, y'all had me on here and we talked preseason about what the Cajuns looked like. And I said then, you know, when you didn't have Megan Kleist, okay, this kind of thing coming, you know, after 20 into 21. Well, that was going to, you know, we didn't know at the time, but that was going to be the least of what bothered the Cajuns at different points this year. You talked about the injury bug, which never, you, you, you couldn't, Cajuns couldn't seem to shake the injury bug all year long. Um, you know, you had those, some of those early struggles you talked about. Um, you, you played LSU, didn't get the results you wanted. You know, some things like that. that it could have gone awry. You, you have the injuries. Could have gone awry. You lose a couple of games in conference. Could have gone awry. There was a lot of opportunities where if the season was going to go downhill, you could point it back to, well, this was the linchpin. Well, this was the linchpin, or this was. But it, it never did. Even when you had the games that didn't go the way you wanted to or the surprising losses or the injuries or whatever, the ship still got righted. And I think it's an understated feat on the Cajuns' part and on Jerry Glasgow's part to be able to, to man that ship and to get to where they are in the postseason. I mean, look, look at the end of the season and, and no further. That surprising loss to ULM in the last game of the regular season, right before the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Well, you go into the tournament, that could have gone one or two ways. It could have gone really well, and you rebound. Or it could go really badly, and you lose a game or two. Obviously, you, you know which one you think, but it's a game of softball. You never know what's going to happen. And the Cajuns didn't just respond. They responded really well. They do what they're supposed to do, go out and win the tournament. And they're riding a the hot streak going into the regional now. And that, too, I think, is a really impressive feat for Glasgow, for the Cajuns. And for some of those players who, you know, needed to hit a hot streak. You know, Jerry, Jerry Glasgow said the other day in a press conference that this is probably the best all-around team that he's coached since he's gotten here. you agree with him? Oh, yeah, the talent's unreal in this team. The capabilities of this team is through the roof. Even with the, like I mentioned, with the understated um, success that they've had, you know, just, just to have success. The talent, the talent on this team is through the roof. There are very few teams in the country that have this talent level. No other consideration, just this natural, raw talent. There's very few who can equal that. So I absolutely agree with that assessment. You know, let's go ahead and dive into the regional now, Justin. You know, Cajun's first opponent, like I said, the Colonials of George Washington University, 37-9. and nine. I'm looking at their schedule Um you know, they've got some big wins. They collected a win against Villanova. You know, kind of kind of give our, our listeners a, a recap of, of their season and what they can bring to a matchup against the Cajuns. So one thing that normally in a normal year that you can really base a lot of postseason predictions off of is the RPI. It's not the only metric, but it's, it's a popular one. And this year, the RPI was a little, a little flawed as a metric because some leagues didn't play conference play, et cetera. So there was, it wasn't a true measure of the entire nation. That said, George Washington actually benefited from the RPI this year. They were a very, high, very highly ranked team in the RPI. They had a solid season, just like you talked about, and they've actually got some good talent on that roster. Um, Jenna Cohn is one of their one of their best hitters. She's I think she's second on the team in batting average, but she's got seventeen home runs. I mean the kid plays lights out at the plate. 
Um, and she, she actually is one who came back with the extended eligibility. So she's a, she's a real vet um, in, in that sense. And she's a real leader on that team. And so she's one that has had another great season to add to her list of great seasons. Um, the, the Colonials also have Sarah Lang, which is a player that I really like because she does something I really like and she pitches and she hits. And I like that, that, uh, that dual threat kind of player. And I think she's actually third on the team. I don't have the stats in front of me. I think she's third on the team in batting average. And she's also thrown some innings. Um, 175 innings. So a few, you know. So the Colonials have some good talent on their roster. They've actually performed really well this year. Team ERA is under two. And it gets quality competition for the year that it is. I mean, they didn't go play a bunch of SEC teams. But quality competition, and they won some games that they uh, maybe were counted out over, maybe on paper shouldn't have won. So it's a pretty balanced attack for George Washington. They've played some games, so they've got a little experience under their belt. But this is their first NCAA tournament appearance in program history. So you've also got the chance, you know, you never know when you're going to have the whole stars in your eyes kind of thing. So that could be something that becomes a factor both on Friday and then through the course of the regional and the winners and losers bracket. Yeah, you know, that that's that's the thing that's going to be interesting to see. You, I'm glad you brought that up. It is their first regional appearance so do do the bright lights especially playing at a facility at a university as prestigious from an athletic standpoint as LSU does that kind of rattle them a little bit and you know that that kind of remains to be seen but you know realistically I I love playing this with our guest Um, I don't want to put you on the spot but what do the Cajuns have to do against George Washington to win game one of the regional and get to Saturday? I think you have to to handle their big hitters. I mentioned Cone. I mentioned Lang. There are a couple of those. I think you have to handle their big hitters. Uh, I think I think for the Cajuns, I think you have to limit the big plays. Um, you, know, you, you don't need the, the bases loaded and Jenna Cone coming to the plate kind of situation because she'll make you pay for it. Um, and, and then, too, I think the Cajuns, they need to hit because the, the Colonials have quality pitching, but they have pitching that the Cajuns can beat. So I think the Cajuns need to get on a roll early, not really let their pitching get into a groove because if the Colonials pitching gets into a groove, it can make for an interesting game. Those are the two things I think are the biggest because those are really some of the areas that, that George Washington really excels. They're really solid at the plate. And traditionally, they're pretty good under pressure. Again, though, this is the postseason for the first time. It's a different kind of pressure. Yeah, no question about it. Chatting with Justin McLeod from Justin's World of Softball. All right, Justin, let's get into the Cowgirls of McNeese now. 34 and 24 mm-hmm. on the year, 18 and 9 in the Southland Conference. They went on to win the conference in the tournament in Hammond this past weekend. You know, they're, they're no stranger to competition this season. LSU a couple times, Duke, Arkansas, Baylor, Oklahoma State. Louisiana, UCF, Florida. I mean, ranked teams go for a mile on this on this schedule. More times than not, they were on the losing end of those games, but still, those those games prepare yourself for moments like regionals in Baton Rouge. Talk about McNeese for a little bit. It, that's exactly what it does. It really does prepare you. Um, I, you know, I, I've talked to James Landrino, head coach of McNeese, a couple of times this year. And he, he knew he was preparing his team. There was trial by fire. He knew they were going to take their lumps. Um, but, but there were a lot of different factors for him in play. You know, playing those teams 
when you lose, you're not always losing. And I think I think now McNeese and Landron are really seeing that come to fruition because you've got a young team, a very young team, and a very young pitching staff who now have played at Florida. They've played the SEC co-champions Arkansas three times in one weekend, won one of those games. They went, they had on that Florida trip. Oh, by the way, they played a three game series against UCF top, uh, top 25 team. They played the Cajuns. They played Oklahoma state. You talked about it, ranked teams up and down and they've had their struggles. They took their lumps in that non-conference. They took some lumps in conference play, lost some games that on paper, maybe they shouldn't have, but when it got right down to it and they got to the postseason, they were the three seed in the South and conference. They won every game, went undefeated, beat the teams that were ranked above them, the number one and two seed, in three of those four games that they won in the conference tournament. Some tight ball games, and they came out ahead. They pulled through. There were actually some really impressive performances, and you got some good performances from some of those players that I think can be traced back to the tough schedule they played early, the trial by fire. And... So for McNeese, I think that's going to benefit them a lot in the postseason because, yes, it is a different – it's a different animal. It's the postseason. It's regional. And, yes, those are some young players. But some of that shiny new object feel, so to speak, is going to be diminished a little bit at least because, you know, you've, you've played at Florida. Well, that's an environment similar to the postseason. Not the same thing, but it's something that can be com- that can be comparable. So you kind of at least have a reference point. McNeese um, has got some talent on the roster, got some young talent, um, and with that um, with that experience from earlier in the year, I mean, I, I think they're one. They're, they're a tough four seed. I'll say that they're a very tough four seed in the regional. Yeah, you know, looking at their stats, Kaylee Lopez seems to be their their best batting average with at a three eighty eight clip. Uh, she has 12 doubles, no homers, only 19 RBIs. But the two lines that really stick out to me are Corey McCrary and Haley Brindley. Uh, 309 and 250, respectively. 14 doubles for McCrary, 10 homers, 32 RBIs. And then Brindley coming in with 12 doubles, 9 homers, and 44 RBIs. How do the, If the Cajuns get to a matchup with McNeese on Saturday – how do you how do you, how do you stop those bats? With a lot of prayer, you know. Um, I, I had to throw that out there. Truth be told, <laughs> McNeese is one of those teams that if you catch them on a certain day, you just you you sometimes you really do have to pray because their talent if they meld together at the right time, it, it's going to be a battle. Now. Both games they've played against, they played the Cajuns twice this year, um, like two weeks apart or a week apart kind of thing. And they were both one-run ball games. It was a home-and-home. And And the Cajuns beat McNeese both times. One was 8-7, one was 5-4, I believe. So both teams know, hey, we can win this game. Both teams are capable of winning a matchup against the other. And if the Cajuns get to a point where they're facing McNeese, Number one, I think they need to rely back on the fact that, hey, we have beaten them twice this year. Because that helps. Because when you get into a battle with a team that's a four seed and you're a two, sometimes you never know what's going to affect your psyche. The fact that they've beaten them twice will help. And then I think the Cajuns need to take advantage of the mistakes that the young pitching will make. Because young pitching, they're going to make mistakes. 
not often. It's like you take advantage of them when you can. But then for the Cajuns controlling the offense of McNeese, I think I think Summer Ellison and Kendra Lamb are both to the point now where Lamb's still young, but she's there's times where she pitches like a veteran. And I think either one of those can go out there against a team like McNeese. And as long as whichever one it is is in her groove and in her moment, I, I think the Cajuns could do well in that kind of a matchup. Um, you're, you're, McNeese is going to get some hits off of you. They're, you know, you're not you're not going to no hit them. You're not going to you know shut them down to the plate. They're going to score a couple of runs in all likelihood. But either one of those pitchers, I think Ellison Lamb, either one, you go out there, you, you you play your game, you get into a groove, and I, I think that they could easily see the result coming out positively in their favor. Yeah, you know, McNeese, they're they're an interesting. I watched a little bit of their game against Central Arkansas over the weekend in the tournament, and it was it was the Saturday morning game that they played, and uh, McCrary stepped up to the plate and first pitch, man, she jacked one over center field, mm-hmm. and I remember sitting there saying, "Man, if the Cajuns had to play an offensive team like that in the postseason." So, you know, I, I must have some psych, psychic superpower because, you know, 36 hours later, we ended up in a regional with McNeese. But, right. you know, that that's, that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to see because we ran into this problem last year. We our, our, our softball program relied too heavily on Summer Ellison, and she ended up tiring out later in that regional, and it ended up costing them. Or two years ago, excuse me. Um, so the, what, what's going to be interesting is how effective can Kendra Lamb be when Summer needs to sit out a game? Well, and I and I don't mean any disrespect to um, to Kendra Lamb when I say this, but she's not Megan Kleist. She's not a couple time All American. So it's important for her to to not at any point get into a headspace where she's got to be somebody like that. I think Lamb is a solid pitcher, and I think she's grown well since she's been in Lafayette. I think she's developed well. And, again, you know, we were talking earlier about some of the other teams. You know, there's that whole stars in the eyes kind of thing. I don't think you have to worry about that with Lamb. But the one thing that it, – it's still postseason. It's still the first time she's going to potentially and likely – be relied upon um, in the postseason. That's not an easy place to be. I don't care who you are. So I, I think you make a great point because I was actually at that region a couple of years ago and Megan Kleist really had to do it. Oh, excuse me. Summer Ellison had to, had to really do it all. The next year, you know, Kleist comes in, you think, oh, well, there's a, two, there's a two-headed monster in the pitching circle now. Well, there's no postseason. Well, now the Cajuns have a, di- a two-headed pitching monster of a different kind. I think it's important that Kendra Lamb gets an opportunity because I think she could do well if given one, but I think it's important that she gets one to see what she's made of, to be able to give her a chance early to get that confidence. Um, postseason is a different animal, no matter who you are, and it hits everybody differently. But if, if Lamb can kind of get her, her proverbial sea legs under her, I, I think she'll settle in. I think she'll get into that group. And let's be honest, too, no matter what happens this weekend, that's going to be something that's of value in the years to come when Summer Ellison's graduated and maybe Kendra Lamb's the one that Jerry Glasgow's turning to to, to carry him through. 
So if, if your head coach, Jerry Glasgow, is George Washington an, an opponent that maybe you start Kendra Lamb and see what she's got in, in, in a situation like this? I, I think that's probably a fair thought. Now, I would caution that George Washington is a better team than they look like on paper for being from the A-10 and et cetera. But I think that's a fair, uh, that's a fair setting. You, you don't have to worry. One thing about George Washington, because this is in large part a fairly true regional in terms of the teams that are in it, playing George Washington, you don't have to worry about a humongous hostile crowd. LSU, McNeese, whichever one you might play, you might have, you, you might have a larger contingent there. That's not discounting George Washington's fans, but when I say that to say, first game of the regional, not as you know, that's the team from farther away, et cetera, et cetera. It might be a good place, a little bit of trial by fire for Kendra I'm sure, but it might be a good place to to see what she's made of, to see okay, what's she gonna, what what can we look to her for, what can we expect of her this weekend, and you know, the biggest thing for the Cajuns is you don't want to happen what happened two years ago because truth be told the Cajuns were the best team at that regional and they just needed some pitching depth they get into a point of showing themselves to be the best team in this regional and playing the best this weekend you need to be able to say okay well now we've got pitching depth let's finish it off so I think I think yeah I think it's a good point I think you throw Kane Lamb out there against George Washington see what she's made of um, in the postseason get some of the like I say the proverbial sea legs under her and yeah, and hope you get paid dividends for it. And of course, have Summer Ellison ready to go if something goes wrong. Absolutely. You know, let's just let's talk about the elephant in the room, Justin. Um, yep. UL, UL doesn't like LSU. LSU doesn't like UL. Right. Um, and and it seems like the NCAA just loves to put us in Baton Rouge when we don't have the resume yep. to host. Looking at LSU on paper, obviously, you know the name that everybody knows from LSU softball this season is Aaliyah Andrews uh, with just the gravity defying catches that she seems to make game in and game out. But looking at, looking at her, her offensive, you know, resume 365, she has six doubles, four triples, two homers, 19 RBIs on the year, a slugging percentage of just under 500 uh, and an on-base percentage of just over 400. How does she lead this program along with Taylor Pleasance to, you know, let, let's call it what it is. LSU had a down year for the, for their softball program this year. How how do they lead this program into the seventh national seed? Well, LSU is a very enigmatic team, and by that I mean any given weekend there's a different element of LSU's team that could beat you. And you never know what it is. On paper, LSU looks like a team that has struggled, that you know has, has some quirks here and there kind of thing. They played a ridiculously tough schedule, and they, that really is a lot of what vaulted them into that um, number seven national seed. But in terms of production and, and, and on the field, you know, you could go in one week and it could be their short game and their small ball, Andrews and et cetera, that really lead that team. There's some games that LSU would not have won this year if it weren't for Aaliyah Andrews in the outfield, but there are also some games that LSU would not have won this year were it not for Aaliyah Andrews at the plate. There was a stretch of, I forget how many games, but there were three or four games in a short period of time 
where without Andrews coming up in the late inning, extra inning, et cetera, there's games that LSU wouldn't have won. Well, you could go right out the next weekend, and it could be their, their power that beats you. You mentioned Taylor Pleasant. You've got Georgia Clark. You, you, you never know who's going to handle one, Amanda Doyle. You never know who's going to you know step up and be a big bopper. But that side of their game is something that they haven't been able to exploit consistently this year. You've also got the pitching. You know, LSU's got a lot of pitching, a lot of pitchers in the stable, some real talent there. Some weekends, that could be what beats you. So LSU, it kind of makes LSU an interesting team to prepare for, too, I feel like, because you're obviously preparing for the whole attack, but you never know, is this the weekend where, you know, we're going to have to plan to play the infield in because the small ball is going to be what's clicking? Is this where, you know, we're going to have to defend the home run? Is this where we're going to have to really, you know, the pitchers are really on fire? So while you're preparing, you're also like, okay, where's our focus going to be? And sometimes you don't know until you're halfway through the series. So I think, I think LSU on paper is a little deceptive in terms of what their abilities are. But I, I do think the potential is there where you can have one game where it's a slugfest and you can play the same two teams, LSU and the Cajuns the next game, and it could end in a one to nothing result. And I, I think I, I think that's a that that's a really interesting piece of this regional um, because that that kind of like you say is the elephant in the room, but it's an elephant with uh, maybe you know interchangeable trunks or something. Yeah, and you know, like, like I said, it, it's always it's always entertaining um, when these two programs play. Just a obviously the amount of talent that both programs seem to always have, but b like like I opened that question with the fact that neither one of us likes each other. It's yeah. always it's always a very hostile environment. It's always, you know, a, a very loud crowd and throw in another in-state team in McNeese to just make it yeah. to make it all the more entertaining. You know, before before we get out of this regional um cuz we're we're going to talk a little bit about the the entire tournament. Uh but before we get out of this regional, I want to ask you out of the four programs in this tournament, which one has impressed you the most this season and why? impressed me the most um well i've been impressed i'll give you i mean i'm gonna be cheap and i'm gonna give you two answers to that question because it kind of to me i could take that two different ways the greatest body of work i'm gonna go george washington because you know they, they've had a couple of years now where they really performed to the level they were able this year getting to the tournament but in terms of performing with, with the hand they were dealt through the course of the season, it's got to be the Cajuns. We've talked about the injuries. We've talked about, um, you know, we, I mentioned the conference, the, a few losses in conference play, some non-conference struggles early on and some losses. To go through some of those different things and to still come out ahead as a two-seed in the regional, win the conference, et cetera, I, that impresses me. I think that's, again, I think that's an understated um, happening and an understated accomplishment this year for Glasgow and company. You know, one one thing that I found very interesting about this entire season is the, like you said, you know, the body of work that the Cajun, the hand that the Cajuns have been dealt, like you said, the injuries, the losses in conference, which were, you know, incredibly uncanny for this program. Um, you know, it's a great problem to have when your fan base is getting agitated after 10 losses. Right. That's a, that's a great problem to have. But you know, the Sun Belt was no slouch this year, and it's obviously been proven in the assignment of the regionals. We have four Sun Belt teams 
in the postseason, Louisiana, Troy, Texas State, and South Alabama. The Cajuns playing two of them, actually all three of them, in yep. the uh, in the Sun Belt Conference tournament. Which team? I, I, let, let's not talk about Louisiana. Out of the other three Sun Belt teams, which one do you feel? Which, which team do you feel has the best chance of making some noise and being a quote unquote Cinderella? Well, I, I, I'm going to go South Alabama. Um, going into the conference tournament, I think South Alabama was a team that was what we call on the bubble in terms of whether or not they get into the bracket. And I think South Alabama realized that. They recognized that. Interesting, this is a South Alabama team that within the last decade was hosting a regional. It was in 2013. Well, now, you know, eight years later, they're, you know, they're, they're lucky they're advancing to be on the bubble. So, you know, you, you had some lean years there. You get some talent in, some young talent, and they have a good year. A couple of wins over SEC teams, Alabama and Georgia, at those respective teams' home stadiums. So hostile environments once again. But then when South Alabama gets to the tournament, they run the table. Well, not run the table, but they go through, and they end up playing the championship game. And to me, that's an achievement. That's an accomplishment. Um, I, I think that's one to watch. They're in a regional where I, I think it, it's a – I don't want to call it a winnable regional because I don't want to disrespect the other teams, but I think it's a regional where they could they could make some noise. And so in answer to that, I'm going to go South Alabama. Although I think all four teams, and I'll say this, I was an advocate from early on when we did bracketology. I thought the Sun Belt should have four in. And I'm glad the committee, the selection committee, saw that and recognized it and brought it to fruition. All right. Well, you know, let's go ahead and wrap up here with this one. Who goes Who goes in your mind to Oklahoma City and who raises the hardware when it's all said and done? Ooh, you're going to pin me down to that one, are you? Okay. Um, I, I think there's probably 10 teams at this point that I could see most of the field in Oklahoma City coming from. I think there's some easy ones. I think UCLA is an easy one there. Um, OU is not as easy because now they have to play Washington in the Super, theoretically. But I do think OU, Oklahoma, makes it through. Um, I think the SEC will get a solid number. I think Alabama actually is much improved beyond what I expected to see. Um, Florida is a likely suspect here. Um, I know the Cajun listeners won't like this. Before the season, I picked LSU to win the national championship. Not working out too well for me so far. Um, But a few years ago, I picked Florida State in the preseason. Got up to the World Series, did a podcast for somebody there. They said, well, who are you picking now? And I changed my mind. And it happened to be the year Florida State won it. So – I'm not going back on my preseason pick, so I'm going to avoid that part of your question as to who's going to win because I don't know that your Cajun listeners would like me to verbally say that. Although I don't know, I don't think my original pick was correct. I'm just not going to pick somebody new. Um, But as much as I think you'll see a lot of what I call the old guard of teams in Oklahoma City, the teams that are usually there generally every year, most years, I think this is the year you might see a couple of surprises. We saw a couple of, of new teams really advance. I mean, I think of Duke actually as a seeded team in a regional. And I think this is the year you're going to see some teams upset in the regional round. 
And honestly, I think this is the year you're going to see some teams upset in the Super Regional round. As much as I think a lot of the field in Oklahoma City is going to be the usual suspects out of those, those 10 or so that I mentioned, I think you might see a couple of surprises there. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I'm going to use this as an example. It's a bad example because I don't think they're going to be lucky enough to get out of the regional. But Wichita State, for instance, had a stellar year. They're at the Oklahoma Regional. I think it's a bad draw. But that's, a, that's the kind of team, a team that's done so well during the regular season, has the pitching, has the bats, that could go somewhere. I don't think it'd be Wichita, but that's a good example. I think there's some teams in the game this year, and I think in this field and some of the regional placements, I think this is going to be a really fun postseason. Um, I, I really do. Scale of 1 to 10, what are the Cajun chances of getting Oklahoma City? 10 being they're going to be there, 1 being they won't be there at all? Correct. Um, I'll give them a 4. Okay. That's not exactly a, a, a hugely positive rating, but I, I do think it's going to be a little difficult to get out of the Baton Rouge Regional because I think it's a fairly – I don't want to call it a slanted regional. I, I think – um, the teams in it are so familiar with one another outside of George Washington. It could go any way, any possible way. But I've also seen regionals like that that go exactly like the proverbial book says they should. Um, and then in a, um, you know, if, if the Cages were to make it out of Baton Rouge in terms of a super regional matchup, I think they, I think they could do something actually in a super regional matchup against. Florida State or Auburn or UCF, whoever comes out of that Tallahassee regional. Um, so, I mean, I, they make it out of the Baton Rouge regional. They'll obviously be riding a hot streak. I think I could see them doing something in the super regional. So I did give them a chance to be in Oklahoma City. Um, but I think, I think this regional is going to be really interesting for that reason, mainly is there's so much familiarity. Is so, that going to help or is that going to hurt? So, so, in your, so in your opinion, their tallest order is getting out of Baton Rouge. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think getting okay. out of Baton, of Baton Rouge region is going to be harder than getting to the Super. Okay, now let me ask you this because you brought up you brought up an interesting question. Say say Louisiana gets out of Baton Rouge, and Tallahassee, Florida State does not come out of that of their regional. Mm-hmm. It's one of the other three. Does Louisiana yeah. host the Super? No. So what the NCAA did this year was they had predetermined hosting sites. Right. A couple of weeks before the selection show. They had a list of 20, narrowed that down to the narrowed 16. Narrowed it down to 16, right. Right. So what's going to happen is the Monday after regional, so this coming Monday, what oh. the committee will do is they'll announce their destination. Oh, that's crap. So the thing is, if unranked teams, so let's say LSU were to lose and Florida State were to lose, and let's say the Cajuns come out and for argument's sake, let's say Auburn. Well, neither one, nobody, neither one of them is going to host. It's going to be, but here's the interesting part: it's going to be one of the other. It's going to be just the only metric is it's going to be one of the sixteen. Could be Tallahassee, could be Baton Rouge, could be Athens, Georgia. You know, it's just the only metric is it's going to be one of the sixteen. And the reasoning behind that is, um, it, it, they had to do the make sure everybody could have the testing protocols in the space and all that right. kind of stuff. So, so, so that's the only metric they've assigned. So are you saying that Louisiana and Auburn could play each other in a super in Baton Rouge? It's possible. Yeah. Interesting. 
you know, they, they can play each other in the Super and Baton Rouge. They can play one in Tallahassee. And truth be told, there's no line as to, okay, this is how the committee is going to decide that if it were right. to happen. Right. It's unprecedented, so we don't know. But, yeah, that's very possible. The NCAA just comes up with the, the craziest thing sometimes, don't they? They do. And this one, I think, was well-intentioned. And, I, I mean, we'll see how the execution works. We haven't seen I don't know how it's going to go. But some, sometimes when you kind of get that far into something, I think there's some, th- there's some situations that you kind of have to ignore for the sake of just being able to do one thing, you know, to do thing A, you kind of have to ignore that thing B is a possibility. Right. And, and there's then, a couple of thing Bs that. Right. And, and, then, and, and then the other thing is you, you kind of halfway said it. Once you reach a certain point, you can't turn back. Right. So you kind of I mean, just, and, even if you realize that it's not the greatest idea, you have to keep running with it because you've already gone too far. Exactly. I mean, look no further. Duke is the 13 national seed and they're quote unquote hosting a regional in Athens, Georgia yeah, because Duke uh, was see, not uh, one okay. of the 20 so, predetermined sites. So it is. So Duke is the host, but it's at the university of Georgia. Duke is the seated team air quotes, the host. Yeah. We normally just refer to him as the host. Cause this has never been a thing before. Oh, right. Duke is the number one seed okay, in so the I, regional. I meant, to, I meant to ask yeah. about that. Cause I was looking at the bracket and I saw Athens and then I saw Duke was the ranked team. And I was like, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And that, and that's where it goes back to the predetermined sites, which I understand why the NCAA did it. They had a list of 20 and that way everybody on that list of 20 could say, Okay, they could go, they could send somebody in maybe and, and you know make sure you have space, you have the, the stuff to be able to do the protocols, you have personnel, you are everything gonna be kosher if we give you a regional. But again with the unintended consequences, and, and I think that's important in this point in time. I get it. But the unintended consequence there is at that point, Duke was struggling. Duke was was waffling a little bit. Well, after they picked the, the twenty predetermined potential sites. Duke goes on a run, ultimately wins the ACC championship. So now you have a Power 5 conference champion who's not able to host. And, and that's not on the softball selection committee for not picking Duke, in my opinion. I think the NCAA kind of got one they, – they got the horse before the cart to a certain extent, I think. And, I mean, I, I don't – we'll see how that works out. I mean, there's a lot of factors at play there. Georgia's the field. Duke's the seeded team. Well, normally the host site gets to determine, for instance, ticketing. Well, does Georgia get to determine ticketing? Right. Does Duke how, season ticket holders have first bet? Exactly. There's a lot of questions that the NCAA is not going to have anything to do with because they don't care. Right. But they, it's unintended consequences from that that directive. Right. Dave, Justin, man, we appreciate you joining us. Um, definitely taught me more than more than I knew about about this weekend's regional. Definitely going to be a fun one. Before you go, man, tell tell our listeners where they can find you. Well, I'm on all the social medias if you want some hot takes and some more freezing cold takes. Um, but all the content we put out, and there's a ton of stuff going out these days during postseason and all that. Uh, the website is justinsworldsb.com. Perfect. Justin's World. As, is it, a, is it a, a subscription thing? We do have a subscription side, actually, um, and, and there's some extra content that goes behind that. 
but we've got a lot of free stuff, a lot of softball news. We have all the news and all that. But we I, we try really hard to make sure there's stuff in front of the paywall for anybody to be able to read, but then also some stuff for the folks who choose to subscribe and to support us and to see the extra stuff, that there's stuff there to make it worth their while, too. So got a little bit of everything for everybody. And, yeah, we've actually got a subscription side, a couple of different tiers with some different incentives and that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it, it, we try to make it as wide-ranging as we can across softball entirely. Man, that's fantastic. Justin, once again, man, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, enjoy enjoy May Madness. Absolutely. We, we call it mayhem and softball. I appreciate it. Hey, Thanks again for having you know, me. That works. Absolutely, man. Thanks, Justin.